ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We welcome you to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the salvation of the lost and the revival of God's people. I'm Alan Mashburn, your Bible teacher and the pastor of Asbury Baptist Church, located at 218 Asbury Church Road in Seagrove, North Carolina. We invite you to visit our church at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. On Sunday evenings, we provide online services which can be viewed on gospeldynamite.org. Now please join me in the study of the Word of God. You're listening to Gospel Dynamite. Thank you for joining us. I invite you to take your Bible, turn with us to 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 17 through 24, as we focus on Elijah and meeting the prophets of Baal. In effect, we could name this, it's showtime, Elijah. 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 17 through 24. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal, four hundred and fifty, and the prophets of the groves, four hundred, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent unto all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together unto Mount Carmel. And Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people answered him not a word. Then said Elijah unto the people, I, even I only, remain a prophet of the Lord. But Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let them therefore give us two bullocks and let them choose one bullock for themselves and cut it in pieces and lay it on wood and put no fire under. And I will dress the other bullock and lay it on wood and put no fire under. And call ye on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God that answered by fire, let him be God. And all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. We've had the privilege of observing in the pages of Scripture God as he trained a man named Elijah. We've seen him bring him out of nowhere, and he has set him before a king, used him to strike fear into a nation. We've seen God send him through one trial after another to teach him total dependence upon the power and the provision of God. We have seen the contrast between this man, Elijah, and others who claim that they knew the Lord. We've learned much about him. Yet all we have seen Elijah go through was in preparation for the events we read about in this passage. All the training, all the trials, and all the trusting have been to bring Elijah to the place where he could stand in the pure power of God and show a lost nation that Jehovah, not Baal, was Lord of all. You see, the entire nation of Israel, with the exception of some 7,000 faithful people, 
according to 1 Kings 19, verse 18, had given themselves over to the worship of the false god Baal. Things were so bad that even the king and the queen of Israel were leaders in promoting the worship of these idol gods. However, God had not forgotten his people nor his investment in his people. He had not forgotten how he had chosen them out of all the other peoples on the face of the earth and how he had brought them out of Egypt. He led them through the wilderness. He remembered giving them the land, the law, and the covenants of promise. He never forgot for an instant that they were his people, and he had plans for them. Therefore God had called, trained, and groomed a man named Elijah. All the preparation had been for this very moment, a moment when God would call the nation back to himself, a moment when God would prove beyond all question that he was Lord, he is God. For Elijah, this was an event that required great faith and great courage. But he had been adequately prepared by the Lord for such a task. In fact, it was time for Elijah to prove that he was who he was rumored to be. It was time to put up or shut up. In other words, Elijah, it's showtime. Now this passage has much to say about the church this morning as well. We live in a day of half-hearted service when people serve the gods of self, materialism, recreation, pleasure, more than they serve the God of heaven. And I'm not just talking about the world. The same mentality that drives the world today has invaded the church, and God wants us to know today that he is still God. He hasn't forgotten the investment he has made in us. And like he has called Israel back to himself on Mount Carmel, he wants, he desires, he longs to call his people back to himself today. Now as we dig into these verses, obviously the story overflows into the rest of the chapter. For sake of time, we're unable to read all of that. I encourage you to do that on your own time. First, I would show you that the challenge is extended in verses 17 through 24. Specifically in verses 17 through 20, this meeting between Elijah and Ahab is an interesting one. Ahab is the king of Israel. He has chosen to lead the people of God away from the worship of God into the worship of a false god named Baal. Elijah, on the other hand, knows nothing of compromise. He's totally sold out to the will of God for himself and for his nation. And it's safe to say that these two men are not the best of friends. In fact, some may wonder why Ahab would even allow Elijah to live at this point. After all, Elijah is the one who pronounced the drought that has nearly destroyed Israel and it's taken the lives of thousands of people. Why not just kill him and be finished with it? I believe that Ahab has come to believe that the drought will not end unless Elijah prays for it to. Therefore, he must indulge this man that he despises so deeply. In verse 17, there's a confrontation. When Ahab sees Elijah, he accuses him of troubling Israel. The word refers to one who stirs up trouble, stirs up, causes disturbance. However, it also carries the meaning of a snake and a serpent. This is equivalent to Ahab calling Elijah a snake in the grass. There's no love loss here between these two men. And when Ahab failed to realize was 
that Elijah was the best friend that Israel had. So it is with the man of God. People will get angry when the truth is preached from the pulpit. They fail to understand that when God's man tells them the truth, he does so because he loves them and he loves God. You see, the truth has the power to set you free, according to John 8 and verse 32. Therefore, people would do well to receive the message of God and deal with it personally. The man who tells the truth is not your enemy. The man who tells you all is well when you are wrong, that is not your friend. In verse 18, we see a condemnation. Elijah's response to the accusations of Ahab is to look him square in the eye and tell him the truth. Elijah tells Ahab that the drought is really Ahab's fault because he and his fathers led the people away from the worship of God into the worship of Baal. God sent the drought to get their attention and to call their hearts back to himself. In reality, Ahab was the troublemaker. Elijah was just the troubleshooter. Why is it that God's people forget that there's a price for sin? When we make wrong choices in our lives and wander away from God, why are we surprised when he chastens us? After all, isn't that what he's promised to do in Hebrews 12? Revelation 3, 19, Proverbs 3, verses 11 through 12. There's always been, and there always will be, a price for sin. You just can never get away with it. Elijah commands Ahab to sin for the people of Israel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah. That is the female consort of Baal. Elijah even points out that the fact that the king of Israel is using his own resources to feed these false prophets in verse 19. Basically, Elijah is challenging these false prophets to a duel. They will decide once and for all which God will be worshipped in Israel. In verse 20, Ahab accepts the challenge and he goes to round up all the participants. And it appears that the prophets of Asherah didn't even make the trip to Carmel. I want to point out to you that the fact that Elijah the prophet spoke eight times during this event, each time he spoke, he issued a command. Why didn't someone kill him and shut him up? Because as long as you are in the will of God, you are invincible until God gets finished with you. Verse 21, we see that Elijah challenges the people. Now the people and the prophets had heeded the call of Elijah and they had gathered themselves on top of Mount Carmel. This large mountain near the Mediterranean Sea has a large flat top that would allow such a great crowd to assemble. And once they're there, Elijah ignores the prophets of Baal and turns his attention to the people of Israel, which is God's chosen people. Now notice three aspects about his challenge to the people. He issues a question. How long are you going to waver or vacillate between two ways of life? These people were guilty of trying to hold hands with God and hold hands with Baal. They were guilty of what many people are guilty of this very hour. They wanted the best God could give them, and they wanted what they could get from Baal worship. They wanted the best of both worlds. The words how long indicate that this had been going on for quite some time. 
So it is in the church. People want the assurance that they're saved and a member in a church, but they want to hold hands to the world. They want heaven, but they also want their beer, they want their drugs, they want their good times, they want their uh, anything that the world has to offer. They want the Bible, but they want to curse when things go wrong. They want to be able to pray when they have a need, but they want to live life by their own rules and do as they please. My friends, that will not work. We might as well come to understand that divided allegiance is as wicked as open idolatry. A person is either for Christ or he is against Christ. You cannot be neutral when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot occupy the middle of the road. Jesus said it this way. He that is not with me is against me. He that is not with me is against me. Matthew 12 and verse 30. Where do you stand in regard to the Lord Jesus Christ? But also we have a quandary. Because Elijah presented the people with a problem. He tells them that they're being very contradictory. If God is Lord, then Baal cannot be. If Baal is Lord, then God cannot be. And what Elijah is saying is that both God and Baal cannot both exist, cannot both coexist. There is room in the universe for only one Lord. There is room in the universe for only one God. And they're challenged to choose who they will follow. That's the same challenge we have before us. Many who claim to love the Lord are holding hands with the world, the flesh, material possessions, whatever, and that's a contradiction. Either God is God or he is not. If he isn't, then those other things you hold to must be your God. The bottom line is this. You have to make a choice. Who will you serve? Who is really the Lord of your life? You really can't have it both ways. But I also see a quietness. When Elijah extends this challenge to the people, they say absolutely nothing. And that's just what you would expect from people like these. They are cowards, and they prove it by staying in the middle of the road. Friends, there are times when you can walk in the middle and be okay. But there are times when you have to have a backbone to stand for what is right against that which is evil. Anything less is cowardice. Many people think that being quiet and maintaining a low profile, that trouble and sin will just go away. My friend, I've never seen that in the entire books of history. We are called to be salt and light to the world. Salt prevents decay from spreading, but the salt has to be applied to be effective. We're called to be the light of the world. Light dispels darkness. But I submit to you that it's the light's place to invade the darkness. When you let your testimony for Christ burn in the lantern of your soul, the darkness flees over to C Street in the back alley where it used to hang out. Now it's on Main Street, USA, and you and the believers in Christ and the patriots of this nation are treated like second-rate citizens. No more. No more. No more. It's showtime. Stand up for Christ. If that is your philosophy, ignore it, and it will go away. Then, my friend, you're deceiving yourself. Sometimes life will present you with opportunities to shut up more often, and faith will present you with opportunities to stand up. Verses 22 through 24, Elijah challenges the prophet. Before Elijah finishes, he presents a challenge to the prophets of Baal. He calls upon them to put their faith in their God 
and put it on the line. He tells them it is showtime. In verse 22, you have the teams presented. Elijah's just one man against 450 men, yet he's willing to stand for God. Talk about courage. Talk about guts. Talk about faith. Where are the Elijahs who will stand against everyone if need be so that they can stand for God? That's what I mean when I say that we have to choose sides. Let us not fear the fact that we're outnumbered. Let us not waver because it may appear that we may stand alone. If we stand with God, we're never alone. He is ever there, and he will see us through all the battles. He stood when everyone else cowered in fear, and because he stood, God wrought a great victory. In verses 23 and 24, Elijah lays out the challenge to the people and the prophets. They will offer a bull and pray. The God who answers by sending fire from heaven will be worship as God. Of course, Elijah tells them that they're not to put fire under. Now, history records that often pagan altars had a dug out underneath where a priest could hide and light a fire, making it look as though a pagan god was actually responding. This was just fine with Baal prophets. After all, Baal was the god of life. He was a fertility god who was seen in the rain and in the sun. They felt that he was responsible for life. Of course, Baal hadn't been able to send rain for three and a half years, but surely he could send fire. You see, the worshipers of Baal believed that he could be seen in the great thunderheads that brought rain to the land, but they also thought that he could be seen in the sun itself. When they looked into the sky and saw the bright burning sun overhead, they felt that they were looking directly at Baal. Now, this was a contest, and they felt confident about winning. Did you know that our English word bonfire came from the old Saxon word balefire? Interesting, huh? Of course, Satan would have given them fire if he had been permitted to. Of course, there were some in the crowd who would remember that Jehovah had also spoken by fire in the past. They might have remembered the burning bush, the fire on the altar of the temple, the pillar of fire in the wilderness, the fact that God had consumed a murmuring crowd with fire, or the fact that God's fire had lit the top of Mount Sinai. Either way, it seemed a fair challenge to the people and to the prophets of Baal. Verse 24 also reveals that the whole tragedy lies in the fact that the people are even willing to consider that Baal might be real. After all the things that God has done for them, how could they stoop to the place where they would even consider a contest of this nature? Imagine them expecting God to prove himself to them after he's already done for them in their nation. Before we come down too early on these people, maybe we, maybe we should admit that we're often guilty of the same thing. When we allow life and all of its distractions and crowds to crowd out God, we're guilty as they are. When we come to the place where we wonder what God has to offer, we're in a bad shape. But I would also show you in verses 25 through 38 that the contest is executed. The challenge is extended and accepted, and now the contest gets underway. The prophets of Baal get to go first. From early morning to noon, these false prophets prayed, they screamed, they called on Baal, but no fire came down, and no answer was given to them at all. They appeared to be wasting all of their time. When Elijah saw their foolishness and the futility of what's going on, he stepped forward and mocked them. Surely he's a god. You better cry louder. Maybe he's doing something. 
Maybe he's out hunting. Maybe he's asleep. And Elijah's mockery sent these men into a fit. They jumped and they screamed and uh, they just had a royal fit. But too late, they realized their God cannot save them and that uh, their God cannot give them happiness or peace. What a terrible way to live and die. And then after this, all of this pitiful spectacle, the faithful prophet Elijah steps forward. Now notice what Elijah did to prepare for the event. Several things stand out. He called the people to come near. He wanted them in true faith, unlike false worship, has absolutely nothing to hide. And so he wanted them to see exactly what he was doing. Verses 30 and 32, Elijah rebuilt an old altar that had fallen down. He used 12 stones, speaking of the 12 tribes of Israel, and he did this work in the name of the Lord. There were people here today that who need to rebuild their altars. Are you spending time in prayer like you need to? Verse 33, he slaughtered and presented a sin offering. Verse 33 and through 35, he watered the entire business down. He wanted to give it every obstacle that he could. Verses 36 and 37, he offered prayer. Now the Baal prophets had prayed at least six hours and nothing happened. Elijah steps up to his offer and prayed a 63-word prayer, and his prayer was constructed to accomplish three different things. He prayed that God would be glorified, he prayed that the prophet would be vindicated, and then he prayed that the people would be revived. Elijah could have prayed for rain, but he didn't. Why? Because he knew that as badly as rain was needed, the people needed revival more. Verse 38, when Elijah finished praying, God answered in a spectacular fashion. Now note the order in which the elements were consumed. If the items had burned from the bottom up, it would have looked like man did it. However, everything burned from the top down, proving it was the work of God alone. Now just let me remind you right here that God will honor that person who is sold out to his will. If you live by faith, you'll never have to have any fear of God letting you down. Now, in verses 39 and 40, we have a crisis that's ended because the people have their proof. They should have never questioned the Lord, and they have seen an excellent and a brilliant display of power and glory. The Bible says that they fell on their faces. Finally, the people of the Lord are bowing before him in, in humility. And the Bible says that the voice of the truth that they have known in their hearts the whole time, the Bible says, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And by their actions and their acknowledgement, they declare his glory, his place, their reverence for him. Their hearts now burn with a new zeal for the Lord. Now, verse 40, after all was done and settled, Elijah took the prophets of Baal down to the brook Kishon, and he killed them. Now, some people read this, and they're offended by, by all of these men who were killed. But Elijah simply did what had to be done. Why? Well, like a cancer that will destroy its host until it's dealt with, these Baal prophets were destroying Israel, and they had to go. Another reason was that Elijah was simply doing what the Lord had commanded in the law in Deuteronomy 13 and verse 5. There's no greater crime against humanity than to lead men to a Christless grave. And as you and I examine our lives, are there areas that we have allowed to become soft spiritually? Maybe it's your prayer life. Maybe it's your witnessing life. Maybe it's your church life. Maybe it's your praise life. Maybe it's your devotional life. There are a number of things. 
But has there been an area where you've allowed sin to creep in? Has there been an area where you've allowed yourself to grow cold? Do you really need to challenge the Lord to prove that he's God? After everything he's done for you, do you have to challenge him to prove that he is God? Do we need to set up a trial and ask God to jump through hoops for us? Maybe if he did, then we would serve him. However, I think we would be far better for God's people who claim to love him anyway to just come before him, confess our sin, render our thanks, and offer our praise and love for him. Don't you? You may be like the prophets of Baal. You might not even be saved today. One day, there will come a time when you will be led away and sent to the second death in hell. Is that what you really want? If the Lord's drawing you to come to him, please come to him. Receive him in your life. Whatever the need, please come to the Lord. Your time is fleeting. His patience will not last forever. His desire is that you might be saved. If he's speaking to your heart, I trust that you will act on it. You say, preacher, how can I be saved? You come to the word of God because the word of God is the channel through which we learn about the Lord Jesus Christ. You cannot be saved apart from Jesus Christ. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there's none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. Romans 10, 9 says, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Would you do that? Would you come to the Lord Jesus and say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Would you come to the Lord Jesus and say, Lord, I know that you save sinners. Would you come to him and say, Lord Jesus, would you please save me now? Oh, and the Lord Jesus would welcome you in open arms. He would forgive you of your sin, and he will begin to walk with you. God the Holy Spirit will become a resident in your heart, and you'll have a hunger that you want to know more about God if you'll just accept him. It is the only way to avoid hell. It is the only way to gain salvation. That is through the Lord Jesus Christ. Will you come today? Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. We trust it's been a blessing. Trust you'll have a great week in the Lord. Log on to our website, gospeldynamite.org, and let us know if you've accepted Christ or this message has helped you. God bless you, and we trust you have a great day in the Lord.